You know, I was talking with uh, with with Kim a little while ago, and she had never seen the the colon blow commercial, nor the change <laughs> bank commercial, and and mm. so I found the change bank one, but unfortunately, I forgot there was one of those ads where they had like three segments of it, I, and I only saw the first one. So she What's missed the change bank. You remember, you remember the change bank? It's that old, of course, SNL bit where there where right. uh, someone's like, I had to get to a bus, and they only took exact change, and I had only had five dollars. Thankfully, I went to the change bank who gave me four ones and 10 dimes. And then, and then there's someone from the change bank talking and they're like, we'll work with you. And I forget what it is, but if you bring in $20, we're not just going to give you 20 ones. We could give you 15 ones, four ones, you know, and a five. And so no one's Saturday Night Live. That skit lasts like seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. They have three segments. And then finally, the, the last part, which everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but which was a common saying in, in the, uh, the, you know, I don't know, the early the dot com. Household. Yeah. Well, in the early dot com era was, uh, was how do we make money? Volume. And, and that, uh, now that's where that comes from. And then of course there was colon blow, right? Like you'd have to eat over 10,000 oh, yeah. bowls of cereal to equal the fiber <laughs> and one bowl of colon blow. What's uh you know, I don't get American news over here. So I I haven't I haven't <laughs> found a copy of the International Times Tribune. I haven't caught up on oh, things recently. Oh, everything's fine now. Yeah? Good for you. Oh good. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's all resolved. Yeah, way to go. Uh, just wait for you to leave. Now you can come back. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I did I did get my uh they call it a BSN number, which I'm sure stands for something, but it's your basically your citizen number. And I have one associated with the work permit. And uh, in the immigration office, they told me this ominous thing. Omni, how do you say that? Uh, ominous? ominous? Ominous. Ominous. There you go. It's it's not ominous, the uh, the Omni Hotels experience program. And uh, but, but the person who handed it to me was like, oh, this is your number that you will have forever. Just like, <laughs> I hadn't really thought yeah. about the significance of that, but it is a little yeah. odd. I don't, I don't know, but he was, he was a jokester. He was funny. They got this whole machine that is like an all in one biometric thing where they take your picture and they can take all your thumbprints. And I'm, I it probably also has like a breath analyzer in it. I don't really know for a voice print, but it's, but it's a, it's a fancy little machine. They're very, very casual compared to the, uh, the U.S. border guard who like when well, you go to get your, um, so uptight. Yeah, when you go get your global entry, you don't know. I mean, one, I remember when I got it in the Austin airport, like all of the, um, I don't know if the pencil holder was like this, but everything in the office was like bolted to the floor. And of course, <laughs> the the guy is is like wearing a bulletproof vest and a gun. And then just like, Jesus Christ, I just, I just want to be able to go through a fast line. Like, I, I don't need you to like throw me down here and interrogate me. But, uh, you know, in comparison, it's just like some guy hanging out with a dad mustache telling you about your, your permanent, permanent number is lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. U.S. border control is really uptight compared to other countries. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what their problem is. We got a lot of land, you know, back home. <laughs> just lots uh, of land. I mean, yeah. The, the nice thing in Australia is they're almost always filming a reality TV show. So <laughs> their signs up. <laughs> They're like, you may be on an episode of Border Force. <laughs> it's like, wait, just because I came into your country, I'm now consenting to be on a reality TV show. Wait, there's a reality um, TV show about the border at Australia. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Is it is I, it one of those was it one of those not really 
uh, unreal reality shows where it's like scripted, like that the producer's like, hey, uh, you, you think you might want to arrest this guy? <laughs> you know what? You- can, 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 you, can you put this up your colon and, and try to get through there? <laughs> <laughs> can you go pick a fight with that dog? <laughs> <laughs> that, that beagle looks cute, but he's going to find your fruit. <laughs> um i don't know uh i i they there's signs up occasionally mm. um yeah I, I go through, i go through border control frequently enough that i know sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not uh i've never really seen the cameras but i know it's a tv show and i think mm. it's i i assume it's not scripted mm. but man you'd have to get a large volume of content to make it worthwhile mm. um well, I guess, I guess, I guess there's like 10 plus years of cops, right? So maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe it's similar, but maybe I would imagine the Australia version, like they always end in a uh, positive story at the end or like getting ice cream or something <laughs> down at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have an ice cream and a pint that, yeah, yeah. Brought to you by Foster's probably. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no good. No. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a big, big week in news. So luckily we have muesli to talk about and uh, yeah. and and mustaches, but I I don't know what what, what do we got uh, you know you know I think I think Brandon we haven't talked about this in a while, but uh, it looks like Google has solved uh, calendar scheduling. <laughs> That's right, they figured it out finally. Although <laughs> no, it doesn't seem I, as uh, as we have learned already in our uh, new tri continent scheduling, it feels like there's still some work to be done on that. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a little recommendation. What you want to do is go to timeanddate.com. And then and then you know they used to not they used to have a like a not very good thing you, you that was not a useful, but they have they I don't know if they've acquired these companies, but they have really uh synergistically expanded what they do. So you got all sorts of things you can do in there. And if you can do a little URL hacking, you can list the times in multiple cities and remove the specific date from it. It's very Ooh. handy. Ooh. Oh my goodness! Like, I like it. This like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a world clock. Oh, you won't be able to do it because I actually created an account and it saved my, as it says, favorite cities. Uh, in it, I like this notion. Every every piece of software has that if you want to save something, it must be your favorite. It's a little, I don't. It's presumptive. I was going to say judgmental, <laughs> but it's it's presuming a lot. You don't know me. <laughs> Well, I do like so, that because it's it's a word that uh, has completely like lost its contextual meaning because just by the definition of you like taking the time to like remember it, it's not a favorite. Otherwise, you would remember it. It's really mm. just like, oh, I'm going to forget oh. this. Uh, well, I just feel like anything I actually bookmark is like, oh, I may need this in like six months. You know, it's like the uh, benefits sign up. It's the uh, you know, it's like the yeah. thing you have to just mm. find. You're like, oh, I'm gonna stick it in my favorites. No, it's not my favorites. It's like when I'm totally lost and I can't even remember what to search to find it. I will then click on favorites and be like, yeah. oh, that's right. This is where I uh, submit the uh, expense uh, form X Y Z or whatever it is, yeah. some obscure website that I need to use. So it is. They should just call it like I'm going to forget you. So you know, I just need some place. <laughs> The remembrances. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. just like, yeah, we know you're going to forget us, so just th- stick us over here. Mm. Yep. The yep. memory box, your mind palace. <laughs> the mind the hole. Mind <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you. I, I assume you're still using a Mac over there in Europe now. Um, oh, yeah, they have over, those. The plugs are different, though. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Over on the uh, the notifications, they got the world clock. 
you can you can add a bunch of clocks into there. Oh yeah, yeah, but I you you know I don't I I I haven't come around to this notifications thing. It bugs me out. Like I've mm. looked at it because I I do enjoy the notifications on the iOS. They still call that the iOS, not the Cisco routers, of course, but the uh, the iPhone stuff. And oh, also, is it analog clocks? I can't read analog clocks. I never learned that. <laughs> All right. Well, then I can't help you there because yeah, it's it's. I've got I've got nine analog clocks Oof. in my 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 notifications there. And you can well, you know, th- that actually like works. You can like read an analog clock clock at a glance. Yeah, since kindergarten, man. <sighs> well, you know, I did take first grade twice, so maybe that first time, maybe I was right on that edge there where the first time I took first grade, they they were strong on the uh, the clock reading. And the second time they were like, you know what we should do instead is uh, we should do an additional Texas history class instead of uh, teaching the instead of clock reading class. You know, I, I, be, I bet you can square dance really well, though. <laughs> Dosey do. <laughs> uh, Texas education. That's right. Now, now, Brandon, do they teach you dances up in Maryland? No. There is uh, no dancing uh, taught. I think it's just an organic skill that you, you it's left to the student to learn on their own. Yeah. There's oh, no, wow. Uh, that, and I don't, and as far that. as I remember, there is no focus on, uh, uh, I, I can only, you know, I'm just going to speak for Maryland, not the entire East Coast. Uh, just there is no focus on uh, Maryland uh, state history. Mm. I mean, there must be some history. In, I mean, I assume it exists. I, I don't remember learning any of it. So, uh, so I know. In Texas, that's always a big thing. Yeah, they, Texas, they, they, they were like, they were like, guy in a uh, triangle shaped hat, and then here we are. That's yeah, the history. I think, I think that's kind of <laughs> is. It's just kind of. Uh, it, I think they just say like, read the American history. It's close enough. That, yeah, so that's, yeah. just, that's yeah. generally defines what what happened. Uh, you know, in Maryland. That's how it was in Virginia. They were just like, you know what, U.S. history. It's Virginia history. <laughs> they were like, wait, wait, there's some other stuff. And then meanwhile, in Texas, they're like, and this this semester, we'll be studying Jim Bowie, 1861 to 1862. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, that's right. That's right. So have you tried this new uh, rescheduling feature in G Suite, Brandon? I haven't. You know, I just looked at it a little bit, but um, the out of the Google announcements, the thing that I've used the most of is like their uh, autocomplete for uh email i like that i turned that one on where it will just sort of like it's, it's very much like uh any ide but now it sort of predicts like it's like you take how are and it's like and it pops up with like how are you doing question and i've used that all the time i'm like this is great uh now people you know it's kind of like canned responses a little bit more advanced so mm. i've used that a lot but then i was uh emailing with somebody uh who uh was that who works at google anyway so it was clear that he has it turned on and so i could kind of see in his email some of the auto responses he was using or autocomplete he was using. And then I had used it. So I was like, at some point uh, it'll just be our email clients talking to each other. Oh, like yeah. We won't actually have to do anything. Mm. Cause there's uh, cause I could see, cause you can kind of, you know, notice you can notice the grammar or the style, like just a li- enough to be like, Oh yeah, this has been, you know, or something that you would maybe write in two words. It like, it's a little bit more formal. So that one I like a lot though. It's very, uh, it's yeah. very convenient. I've, and plus I've, it just cuts down on like misspellings and typos. Cause you're like, Oh, that's, I can just say that whole thing. Click next. I've been offered some <laughs> auto responses, uh, you know, when I was writing emails and I I'm tempted to use them, but I just, I just feel weirded out. I mean, I feel like you send a few emails like that. And next thing you know, you're being eaten by Mortalocks just because, you know, you you've slacked <laughs> off. Or, or at the very yeah. least, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure y'all remember the, uh, the complete, uh, series of, of Max Headroom. 
you remember the the lawyers they have they're basically like on on they probably use those uh those mini discs like in last action hero and they just put two of them in there and then the software argues with each other and next thing you know you know you go to prison or something <laughs> it may it's like a, a toaster timer and it like bing, judgment <laughs> that's right wasn't that's there yeah. some news like this is a while back maybe like a year or two ago there was some news where like two ais they started talking and they, they sort of invented their own language and someone turned oh, it yeah. off and there was like yeah. some controversy i don't remember if it was just i don't even I think it was, they like did like anything Facebook or something the, the, yeah, the, the ais were, were you know communicating via english and then they slowly like sublimated into a you know more efficient language because they're like well you know you're looking for noun verb and i'm looking for noun verb you know who needs adverbs <laughs> um <laughs> and then they're like oh you know that that word that is seven letters we can abbreviate it as two because it's frequently used and then people mm. are like i don't know what these things are saying anymore turn it off turn it off next thing you know they're just sending a series of zeros and ones to each other Oh man. <laughs> so so this new feature as I as I read it is basically you can suggest new times to meet. Right? If someone mm-hmm. sent you a you know didn't uh, didn't Outlook do that if I remember? I remember yeah. uh yeah. I remember like the first time I used Outlook was when I worked at Dell and uh you know I had been a, a Mac person. I think largely thanks to uh Matt Ray or Mac Ray so to speak uh since since BMC. And then, and then I had to use Exchange and Outlook, and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, pretty good, actually. It just like <laughs> all works, and you could you could suggest times, and it would show you free busy and stuff like that. It is, uh, yeah. it you know, for as much duplication as uh, as they say the G Suite uh, does, like it kind of has. Uh, they could do a lot better job at just sort of like copying everything Outlook does. They could, my understanding, and I think what I've, I've, I've even written and proposed in my thought lording is that, uh, you can just do a waterfall process if you're just copying software. So mm-hmm. they should, they should just gant it out and add in all of those, those lovely features that they have. It'd be nice. <laughs> just, I like that. Just gant it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now you're now you get into product management territory. Just just get it out. Couldn't you just? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna pull some PMO magic on on your meeting scheduling. Nothing nothing could be more enterprisey uh, than that, yep. unless you were using like Silverlight or something. If, mm. if that's still around, I was uploading uh, some secure documents recently. You know, for all this crazy stuff that that I'm doing. And uh, I got this message that the current, the version of the browser I was using did not support Silverlight. And it, it took me a long time to find the link that was like, don't want to use Silverlight, which is really weird. You would think, well, I guess you wouldn't think, probably because who wants to pay for it? But you would think someone would have gone in there and like changed the dot properties file or whatever they do in Windows, in ASP land. Do they have a, uh, would that be a dot INI file? I don't know what they use over there. Probably need to execute some PowerShell or something. But uh, yeah, Silverlight, not good. So uh, yeah, that'll be nice to have that feature in there. I think it'll solve a lot of problems. Uh, things will work better. Now, I was I was uh, I was on my other pod, other podcast, Pivotal Conversations. Now I've been packing my house and moving around. So like as was mentioned, I'm about three or four weeks sort of just like off kilter. And mm-hmm. and and uh, I, I I finally watched. You know, I heard the episode. I wasn't around where where you you answered Tasty Meat Paul's question. What exactly is K native or K native, or as someone in our Slack channel has suggested, native 
because the K is silent. <laughs> so, so there's that. I, I, I'm going to go with Kanetive. Kanetive. <laughs> it's fine, handcrafted Scandinavian Kubernetes. Anyways, uh, and and uh, you know, I was watching the the video with uh, Clinton. No, no, wait, Dewitt Clinton, I think where they announce K-Native, and then there's one of my pivotal co-workers and the other guy up there. I, I, I don't remember all their names, even though I could have looked this up. And I, when I was watching that, I was thinking, like, like they really taken this word serverless and just, like, blown it up to mean software development, which which I, I guess is is fine. And then that, that goes back to, like, our friend uh, Simon Wardley, who just said, you know, serverless is going to change everything, which if that's the case, then sure. As you improve programming, uh, I, I think it will improve stuff because uh, that's generally what happens with software. There's like a Moore's law of software development that it seems to get better. But since I've been out of it, as as y'all have followed the last three four weeks of, of serverless, like has it just mm-hmm. become general programming, <laughs> or or am I off kilter here? Has has it won yet? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's. Um, it, it's still in that uh, uh, land rush side of of, of thought, thought lording, I guess. Um, mm. You know, there's still. I've been asking about it more with customers, trying to see where it is, right? And and maybe maybe I'm I'm talking to some of the wrong customers, or um, or maybe it's just you know, there's too much uh, leadering and not 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 enough working at this point. But mm. um, you know, there's still mostly all I ever come across is lambda. And and even uh, I'm working on a project with a lot of IBM folks, and I don't hear them say like you know oh we're we're you know this could be moved into OpenWhisk. It's it's still you know very traditional kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I, I think a, a while back uh, uh, Simon Wardley was like you know who will take me up on a bet that you know fifty percent of computing will be serverless, and I, I want to say like two years or five years or something. And I was like, I would take that bet in a heartbeat. You know, I, I, I have no doubt that the future is less moving pieces managed by, you know, users, you know, so we'll, you know, we've slowly gotten rid of data centers. They're still there. Slow, you know, <laughs> slowly gotten rid of mainframes. <laughs> still there. Slowly getting rid of data centers. Still there. You know, slowly getting away from managing your virtualized infrastructure. Still there. You know, and so it's like you can't just say like, oh yeah, everything will change in 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 you know five years. I think it's it's kind of like um, was it the Bill Gates had a, a quote that I'll, I'll mangle where he said, you know, nothing changes in two years, but everything, you know, but Nah, it, it was like you know, you you never really understand how fast things were moving until you look back ten years. You know, that's kind of the gist of it. But but I do think serverless. I mean, I think it's just the new word for PaaS, right? I mean, it's just it's more visionary. It's like this is this yeah. is the attempt to define to your thing when you say software development. Coach, I think you're just saying like like what could become like this will become the popular program. I think that's what people want it to be. It's like this will be uh, could become the popular way to build new applications going forward by embracing, you know, whatever you want to think about convention over configuration, like thinking of building apps this way, just like, you know, people thought about three tier apps or the lamp stack or whatever, just at some point enough momentum gets around things that people decide like, okay, 
we're going to build the new apps this way. We think this is, and, and it's your point, Matt Ray's point earlier. It's like, it doesn't mean anything goes away. It just means that like, hey, going forward, if we're starting a new app today, we believe this is the most efficient way to do it. And, you know, it sounds, I to me, that's what serverless is. It's just another yeah. iteration on this is the new efficient way to do it. Call it serverless, even though that word, and, you know, the fact the word's meaningless is probably good now. It just means like, like pass, like didn't really mean anything for a while. And then people get a sense of what it is. So, mm. um, and then I think there will always be like the counter, right? I mean, I think, Kote, you must think counter this in your job all the time. People and IBM, right? Too, right? It's like, well, people say, well, Cloud Foundry, right? That's a way to build apps, right? And then that's, you know, totally valid. It is a totally valid way. And it's just like, what gets momentum, right? And like, so today there's a, if there's a, the other side of that bet is like, the serverless morph into like the the new preferred way to build apps going forward. I mean, I could see that vision coming true. It'll just be a lot different than it than it started out. Like write one function and just execute it. Like at the end of this, it'll look totally different than that beginning. Mm. Yeah, I haven't read this yet, but the the CNCF and Music Factory they have a, a working white paper. I think trying to distinguish between uh, fast the functions as a service from serverless. And uh, I think I think I think that's where the 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 consternating comes in is like you did have this thing, and I think we even talked about it here where you've got like some little piece of code that uh, takes some input and executes and then potentially makes some output. I mean that's simplifying it because it might actually like attach a I don't know what the kids call it nowadays attach some sort of backing service or service to like retrieve something and then like write it out to that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then, but then, I mean, this is, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but then from what I can tell, the, uh, the vision of Google serverless is basically like, uh, you don't manage, it's kind of like the, like a, like a no op sort of thing is like, you don't really need to, uh, you're going to run your stuff in containers and, uh, you don't really need to worry about stuff except like configuring these components of things. It's kind of like, it was making me as, especially as the, uh, the uh the the DeWitt guy was was talking about how we need some standards and stuff uh, and you know to your point uh you or alluding as you were alluding to the three tier thing Brandon like it was like oh right like J2EE right like it's just like <laughs> you've got all the this standard that specifies the different these different components of how they fit together and of course you're going to have your uh what was the thing you would always have to use in every goddamn J2E application was it JNDI the thing where you'd have to like look up your objects just like every yeah. fucking application oh. had that same thing. And you'd have to write <laughs> that same boiler code over and over again to just like get your thing so that you could get an object and then do everything. It's ridiculous. But, you know, yep. you got you got your uh, registries meant something different back then. And then you got your uh, little execution objects and you're like, oh, state is hard, databases. And, uh, you know, but so it seems like like, you know, we can't really have standards nowadays. Those are bad as far as I, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> but you can sort of develop de facto standards around things. And, and then you got these components scurrying around. And so and, and I'm kind of summarizing what you're saying, Brandon, but it's just sort of like here's a methodology of, of writing uh, applications. And maybe in this iteration of serverless, what it means is uh, you're not managing servers uh, so much, but it's not like you're uh, I don't know, event-driven well, function junk. Yeah, I, I think uh, Knative is is still is one of those intermediate steps where you're still saying like, look, my serverless thing is going to run in a container that's managed by a server, you know, by a server farm. But you know, here is here's 
that that little bit of wiring that I have to do, you know, my my JNDI, my uh, my Palm XML, you know, whatever kind of configuration goes into that, and and it, it's it's still kind of a gradient because you know there are definitely more um, focused platforms where you know you have to do less of that configuration. The the Knative approach allows you to bring you know to bring your own workloads in, and that may or may not fit what the platform provides you. I mean, just mm-hmm. like you know, just like uh, Docker solved a lot of, you know, software packaging problems. You're like, look, you know, you might not care about, you know, my Scala language, but I can package it up in this Docker container and you, sh- you know, and you sure as hell are going to run it. So I don't have to worry about, you know, what the platform provides. And and that's what Knative is. It, you mm-hmm. know, it's an abstraction layer. Yeah. An abstraction layer for your abstraction layer. Mm-hmm. And that seems that like half of an like- abstraction layer. Half of the trends, right, in software development, I don't know, I feel like in like my entire career, is, it really are just like arguments about arguments or whatever, evolutions of abstraction. Like what's the level of abstraction everyone wants to work at? And then when when people get frustrated that that level is either too high or too low, something else emerges. And I think that's kind of what's going on here, right? It's just it's like, yeah, like, the, you know, go back, like, you know, just the heavyweight job applications. I think there was just a certain amount of frustration. Of, I mean, you were just talking about Cote, like there's so much boilerplate and I'm, I'm always have to do this. Like there's just a frustration that people are like, I think there's a better way. And then, of course, you know, there's always the risk of then recreating the thing you were trying to get away from. But I, it just, you know, as we watch this keep playing out with the cloud, it is just a battle of abstractions. And then on serverless, I mean, the defining characteristic, if there's anything it really means to me, it's just scale to zero. That seems to be the defining thing that is different, right? It's like, yeah, with this serverless, whatever it is, it's like, yeah, you don't have to have something running all the time. You know, you can, if you will, quote, turn it off or have it in cold state or whatever. Um, so you don't have, and that just kind of comes back to funding, right? I think people at the beginning, they're just worried this is going to cost too much. So that, that is a really nice way to get around that is to say, okay, well, yeah, when no one's using it, it's just off, right? Like yeah. you're not getting billed mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And then and then when it gets booted up and it and and if you're so successful that it's running all the time, then yeah, then then you'll be okay paying for it, right? Because you know, some something's happening to pay for it. So, you know, like to me, if that if you just said like some other architecture or something else provided that which i think something will eventually do it like then then you really have no need for serverless right it's just like yeah it's just another way to like start from zero mm. i mean maybe to maybe to take a uh experimental swipe at it i mean it seems it seems like a lot of this you, you got you get in, in your your serverless world is compared to like a three-tier world right like the the sort of model is so you're you're writing an application and as you're saying, the first thing is lots, most of your application is going to be basically uh, stateless. And, and, and that characteristic is important because it runs in these containers and it's got your zero to scale. So you don't have time for state. State, state takes a lot of time. And then you got all these medium posts about like, you know, we were doing this one thing and it took milliseconds to come up, which wasn't acceptable for our whatnot. So we had to do this thing and it's very exciting. So you got, you got your stateless applications, which, are in contrast to the old thing where your applications were very uh, statey, so to speak. And then, of course, what that implies is like, well, I'm, I'm going to need some state. So you got a whole other service uh, and you're like, I'm going to need some state and I don't want to pay a lot of money to Oracle. So then you in, you invent <laughs> this whole other like system, uh, not invent, but you have to get a whole other set of services and systems that basically store your state. And then you can sprinkle some machine learning and two machines talking to each other and all that nonsense in there. And then, of course, you need some networking bullshit 
to like help route things and load balance and you can use your security in there. But, you know, it's just connecting all the stuff together, all the, um, if I remember from my UML, all the lines between, you know, between the boxes, uh, of, of what you've got going on there. And it seems like somewhere in those three things are basically like, you got your stateless, you got external data services and a bunch of fucking networking shit. And, uh, th- there you go. You got yourself, mm-hmm. uh, some serverless application model instead of I've got my UI, my sort of controller that figures out how to respond to user input and has, as we used to call it, business logic. And then underneath that, the, the last tier is, uh, the Oracle database, uh, that you're running every, or I'm sorry, maybe SQL server or, mm-hmm. uh, or Myra SQL or something. <laughs> But I think it's actually it feels so much similar, even with all the sort of all the acronyms, because like every one of these like that I try to deploy or I just look at, it's always it's usually like a bookstore or something they start with. And it's like, you know, the whole database. Right. So behind every one of these serverless, it's like some kind of cloud storage. Right. Like they always just assume you're going to use like whatever AWS or Google. Like there's a database you can write to. Right. So that's always sitting there. And then you have the API is always a REST based API, right? It's always like very much mm, uh, look, looking like that, right? With the JSON going back and forth. We all know that. And then, and then the state, right, is, is kind of coming back to like, okay, the assumption is like the example is always like, well, you're going to have a web front end, uh, an iOS front end, and an Android front end, right? Mm-hmm. And so the state is going to reside, uh, if you will, like on, on those devices. So they're just going to be making these, these requests, right? The authentication, get the token, and then they're going to like, hey, give me the list of books. I want to buy the books, right? So I, mean, I don't know. Like, I always think like when I unpack it all, um, and I know there's more complicated versions of state, but like when you kind of get down to like an application that fits that mode, right? Like sort of respect, re- request response, like it all looks very much the same as the LAMP stack to me, right? It's just like, yeah, you have the middle tiers, your web servers, the old Oracle database or MySQL on the back end, and maybe even had like a Win32. But then you just kind of go through and replace everything and just like, okay, this is just a really well-defined API that has pretty clean, you know, simple functions. Um, and like a lot of apps fall into that category. So I think like most apps that at least the, the demo app, I should say, most of the demo apps that are discussed are all in that category. So I guess the question to me is always like, if you ran up against something where like, yeah, you just couldn't have the state on the client, like it's just so complicated that, yeah, you do need to keep that server and load it into memory and it all needs to be in one place. Like, I, I don't know. I think in that case, like you punt, right? Like this architecture doesn't work for that. Or I haven't seen any of those examples that are meaningful to me. Mm. I, I think it's just not there yet, right? So. There are starting to be more and more, you know, <laughs> to use the term cloud native applications where they're like, you know what, normally we would have put in, you know, an Oracle database here and, uh, and uh, low, you know, HA proxy and an Apache, but, you know, we get those for free from the platform. And that allows you to focus on the business logic instead of, you know, the plumbing. And, you know, that's why everything's supposed to move faster in the cloud. You know, less, the more you can lean on your platform, the more you get. So, at some point, you know, there's going to be a native SAP for AWS. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I think that would be an interesting talk for someone to dive into is like, where does, um, you know, the function side, like break down, like what, what's an tangible example where people are like, yeah, I can't do it. Like I need some heavier weight states. I can't just rely on the client, rely on the client to make a request and give me the information and take action. I needed to go 
like do something else. You know what I mean? And like I had to like, and mm. like, cause that, that would be the place where you'd say, okay, right here is where it breaks right here is where it just does not work. And, well, and I don't know, may, maybe most of the applications aren't doing that today. Uh, well, and, and that's where you're like right here, I can't get away with Lambda for this, but you know what? I can package up my app, shove it into Knative, and now it's, you know, now I can supply that missing piece. Or, you know what, I can cram that into, you know, uh, into a Docker container and put it in there. I mean, each one of these, you know, lower level, higher level, you know, whichever direction you're going is because you could not make it fit into the, you know, the most abstract version. And right. you know, right now people be, are pretty I, happy to be away from bare metal, except for performance. Right? Yeah. No, I think so. And I think I would like, I would, I would really be interested in where someone's like, yeah, if if it wasn't like a legacy thing, because I think the most of the time would be like, well, the reason we can't do this function is just because we don't want to rewrite this thing. There's something <laughs> yeah. out there, which is totally valid. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% valid. Super valid. But, I think, right? but um, and that one makes total sense to me. I think it's just like the new. I, I guess I just try to think about like what's a new problem where we were like, oh sucks like we're, we made the rest api call but now we got to the other end and like yeah like we can't just uh automatically start processing this like we needed to like have some state on the server that's pretty complicated to even do this like what is that thing because that's like if someone like i would love to see a list of like hey these are the use cases that are really complicated where it just breaks down just because then it would just be like a handy tool to like kind of give you a sense of like well what should i be doing like, yeah, what, no, yeah. yeah. That, be that, doing? that would be that, would, that yeah so I, I think, I think, I think there's, there's a heuristic in there somewhere that if there's that little limited to software development, if there's a new software development paradigm, uh, and it, it doesn't have, well, that you don't want to put things in that phrase. Something that's a generally new software development paradigm has to have certain applications that it cannot apply to. Otherwise, it's just improving programming. Like, right, like right. unless you have this area of stuff that doesn't work for it, then you just like made programming. You, as as Matt was saying, you just like have made a better way to uh, jam a bunch of stuff into a container and uh, deploy it on a server, which which is fine. But uh, it, it it gets back to the point of like you know what uh, what's the difference here? But you know, uh, no matter what you're running. I think I think as as uh, as some people would call it, you want to have your day two operations. You got to make sure everything's running and monitoring, right? And uh, do, do one of you want to say what you might use for that? Yeah, you know, we, we no, I, I got this one here because we've got a new read here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we want to thank uh, Datadog. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, and this week they want you to know about Watchdog. Watchdog automatically detects performance problems in your applications without any manual setup or configuration. By continuously examining application performance data, it identifies anomalies like a sudden spike in hit rate that could otherwise have remained invisible. Once an anomaly, anomaly is detected, Watchdog provides you with all the relevant information you need to get the root cause faster, such as stack trace, error message, and related issues from the same type frame. So we love our friends at Datadog. They have a great tool uh, with Watchdog. And if you go to www.datadog.com slash software defined talk, you can sign up for a free trial and you can take a couple steps and they'll send you a new t-shirt, which is uh, quite lovely. So really appreciate Datadog as a sponsor. It can definitely help you in your operations. Check them out. You know, I was just unpacking some of my clothes and uh, I brought over, I got rid of a lot of clothes, but I brought over my Datadog t-shirt or Datadog. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, man, it's a fine T-shirt. Also, I saw our T-shirt in the drawer. 
which I think is available at a, uh, now it's not a negative discount. It's 40% off, right? You can, if you go That's to right. softwaredefinedtalk.com, there's a little link to t-shirts. And as Brandon always is, even when he came to uh, our going away party, you can be on brand and on uh, brand. wear, wear right. your Software Defined Talk t-shirts. You wear it, you know, while you're out and about, maybe getting some coffee. You could even wear it while you're taking a shower. We don't care. Just just wear it wherever <laughs> wherever you are. Just buy our shirts. That's right. Yeah, I'm just going to say thanks for everyone buying them. And so I'll just say uh, supplies and sizes are limited. Get in there and get one if you want one. Now, now yeah. but before before we get to our uh, recommendations, there's also been a, a little cluster of uh, M&A kind of private equity activity, which I know we're always excited about. This is what the listeners come from. So one, well, let's start off with uh, Cisco buying Duo Security. Now, I started using something... And by start, I mean I used it once called Duolingo to use Dutch. Now, Brandon, is that in any way related to Duo Security? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say either way on that. It, does, it, it sounds like no. it should be, but uh, no, I, I've not heard of that. It, it's it's enabling it's enabling the third factor of authentication, a language you know, so so that you can you can authenticate yourself. Uh, but they did. I do think I, I must, um, always have a lot of interest in this area. And one, I think the evaluation is a bit staggering. So, um, which is impressive for those guys. So congratulations to them. But it is, uh, you know, is it, I, I kind of think of a broad statement. It's just like, is this the moment like where uh, two-factor authentication has pretty much gone mainstream? And, you know, there's some enhancements coming out in the next iOS, Apple, right, where they make it really easy to both uh, integrate password managers and they make it really easy to fill in like codes, SMS codes you get, right? Uh, so it does seem like this is achieved. And, you know, it's always just wondering, I just wonder why these things happen. Like it does seem like two-factor authentication has achieved this level of, of interest as well as adoption that like Duo is getting bought. Like you see Apple doing things. I'm sure the Android, I know Android has some password management capabilities. I'm sure their next version of Android will, will do a bunch of that. So, so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of in, in some ways, like I've been to like many security conferences where everyone's like this, you know, the password's going to go away. The password is, is dying. And it's like, no, it's never dying. And this seems like a, a legitimate at least use of replacing it, right? It's like if people use password managers coupled with some type of two-factor authentication, that seems like the reality will live in for mm -hmm. a long time. So I don't know. And and of course, it's just interesting when Cisco buys stuff, they just, they don't mess around. They just spend a lot of money. So that was impressive. You, you know, th th this reminds me, I signed up for a bank over here, uh, ABM AMRO or ARMO, I forget. And and they have this, they have this like, uh I, I want to say batshit, but it's just, it's only as in something I haven't experienced before. You get this tiny little handheld number pad and, mm -hmm. and you stick your debit card into it. You got to explain to me what's going on here. You stick your debit yeah, card into and it. It generates a code, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's even, it's even more than like, like an RSA token. It's like, if I want to uh -huh. do a transfer, the first thing I do is I put, I, what do I do? I, I put my card in there. And then, uh, it generates like first, I then I have to put my pin number in and let's see what the order is. And then it generates a number that I type into the web interface. And then the web interface like generates a number. And then I do something with that number. It's just like, there's like multiple challenge responses that are just like crazy. Wow. And, it's and, like uh, like 2FA for your, your debit card on the web? Exactly. So so one, it'll do simple, just like 2FA. Like you stick your debit card in there, you put your PIN number, it gives you like a, I think it's eight characters. 
you know, separate it out into two chunks. It gives you an eight character thing to type into the, uh, the web interface, which of course you can say, I'm not fucking interested in that. Let me enter a password. And then you can do that. But then there are some things where, man, how does it work? It's, it's crazy. Like, yeah, I'm anyways. sure behind the scenes it has like an, I mean, this is access management is getting the weeds of this, but like based on the transaction that you're doing, right. It could, it's called step up authentication, right? They would, they could say like, if you're going to transfer a hundred dollars, fine. But if you're going to do something exactly. like $5,000, the, what the, what that's called is step up authentication in their access management. So I don't know who knows, maybe they're, Oh, I know. Customer how. I know. So they I, just, at yeah, that yeah. point, they make you do more. They're like, yeah, you got to go get the, the code thing and answer the questions because we really got to make sure it's you um, before. And yeah. this is like the, and I was going to say, this is like Google has gone to the other extreme. And they, a lot of their talks, they talked about for a while, for some things, they just took off the password because they're pretty sure like it's already you. Like they already have a lot of signs that it's you, mm. but it freaks people out, right? So like that's a, that's kind of the reverse of step up authentication is like, no, we know it's you and we know you're not doing anything that matters, um, but people get freaked out if they don't see the password box. So they put, it, added it back. It's like that capture thing where it's like, we want to make sure you're a human by you clicking on this box. And I always think like, what the fuck is that? Like, that's really yeah. weird. That, but, <laughs> yeah. but now I remember okay. that now I remember the ABM sequence. Like, so if I want to transfer a lot of money, I go to the web page and uh, let's see, I, I get it generates it generates a number on the web page, which I enter into the handheld thing. And then I and then that generates a number which I stick into the web page again after mm-hmm. putting my pin number in for my debit card. And it just seems like you know, well, well, why don't you just use credit cards where if someone buys, buys a bunch of like Gucci purses, it just gets refunded. Like, I think we put it on the last show. Like it was, um, you know, Google came out with their, uh, you know, their Yubico, uh, like competitor, right. That all, I think everybody at Google has to carry, you know, one of those little, um, like what are they Mm -hmm. called? Uh, Not Yubico, but whatever it has to carry one of those. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's the way, I mean, that to me, it's like that, you know, if, if your bank is this worried, right? If, or I don't know, I shouldn't say worried. If your bank is taking these kind of precautions, like that would be the future, right? Is they would give you one of these like YubiKey things and you just plug it in and it just, you know, all that, like all that code yeah. thing, all that code handshaking, like you basically are manually doing it, right? You're like doing all this code handshaking that it can do behind the scenes. Um, but like, this is where it's like, yeah, that's definitely a lot more secure. And I'm always back to like, that will never take off with consumers. It's totally. Like, and, the key, yeah, can't yeah, yeah. use the key, you know, you can't. Yeah. Key and, gets eaten and, by the dog. Yeah. And then of course, of course, the absurd thing is like you can set a password for most everything and it's like limited to five numbers. And yeah. it's just like what huh? And then it, it just like, whatever. But I think this is where I wonder if the advent of password managers more and more people using them and you know we'll see if the mobile device because i think the mobile devices have to like push this and i think they're doing a good job is like does that finally get rid of these ridiculous password limitations right where it's like i don't care how long it is i'm never typing it and i don't know it so yeah, like yeah. make it 30 characters of just arbitrary numbers and right. strings who cares at one time you have to type it into your your device you're like oh why did i think 30 characters was a good idea or or <laughs> yeah. you know the the worst case scenario which which thankfully a lot of them get around this with little activation stuff is like you got to log into uh, Netflix on a new TV and you're like, mm-hmm, ooh, mm-hmm. 64 characters of nonsense with this remote. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Well, uh, so, so then also there was, there was some news. Uh, there was a rumor that uh, Vista, what was it, might be selling off Tibco, if, if I remember, or somehow transferring uh, things. So there's still, there's still some juice in the ESB world. Now, that was also many billions of dollars, uh, which, which 
you know, Tibco is interesting. If you, if you're old, they've been around for a while. <laughs> and and what, the, where, where do they go in our new CNCF model? <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's a good, you know, they're, they're, they're surprisingly active in that world, but as with all, uh, old companies as a whole, they have, you know, there might be, uh, little modern pockets of things going on, but they also have tons of, uh, existing well, stuff. I mean, you know, all, all joking aside, it, it would be nice to have a diagram that shows like, you know, here is here is the, the new cloud native model and mm. with like dotted lines of, you know, these are the products that you would think of, you know, in the Java world that fit into these boxes. <laughs> mm. I'm all in on that. I I'm all in that. on that, right? Like, oh, your ESB? Yeah, now we call that uh, now we call that Istio. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole, that is a whole oh. nother analyst firm waiting to be created. It's like mapping the old to the nil. It's all like, right, that's all right, it is. All magic right. quadrant, shut, like magic mapping recording. box. Recording. Yeah. We're giving away all the secret sauce. Yeah. Of our new- that's what I would, I would love <laughs> to see it. Just the magic. Yeah. I call it like the, the magic matching box. Just like, here's what it was. Here's what it is. <laughs> the magic mm-hmm. Oh my God. It'd be so, it'd be so phenomenal. It'd, it'd, I'm it'd in. I'm the, all uh, in. It'd be the, the, uh, I guess it's new wine in old bottles. I don't know which way it goes, but, but that, that would be your analysis. And then, and then just also, uh, in, in the PE world, there was, uh, those, I, I love those M&A folks over there at uh, my old firm, 451 Research, that one, because they provide a lot of, uh, free research on their, their blog. I mean, I have an account there, so it's fun to read, but it makes it sort of like you can talk about it. And, uh, Brendan over there is doing a little, uh, I think they might call it napkin math. And he was saying, you know, based on on Broadcom's uh, public plan of how much I think it was EBITDA, as one of my old uh, vice presidents used to say, instead of EBITDA or whatever. Uh, but based on what their projections are, there's CA, the CA acquisition is going to damage them a lot unless they somehow uh, jettison, as uh, people used to call it in the mainframe world, the distributed uh, business. So you mm-hmm. got you got the two parts of CA. And I think if I remember the numbers uh, from when this acquisition happened, it's maybe something like 60% mainframe and 40% distributed, which to use the joke again, as the rest of us would call regular computers or just everything we always talk about. Uh, but essentially, you know, the margins on mainframes are so high, I think because you can sell them for a lot and you don't have to do much work on them. Uh, so it doesn't cost, I mean, that's how margins work last I checked in on it. Uh, but we'll have to consult the magic box, <laughs> the, the magic box. But you know, the idea was that, uh, and I don't know, this is sounds like some financial weird math that, you know, doesn't make any, uh, quantitative no wait the other one qualitative sense uh but you know it was was suggesting that that he was his theory his implied theory was that they're going to have to get rid of all the distributed stuff which you know i don't know that's fun something to speculate (laughs) it's fun to like five people uh but you know i guess i guess as as i think we talked about you know maybe they shuffle that off to uh whoever it is that owns bmc or or you've also got uh you know, the HP software, HPE that, well, no, no, it's Microfocus who owns all that. Microfocus, right? yeah, 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 yeah. HPE got rid of most of their software. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, so, you know, the Microfocus people could uh, pick that up. Who knows what'll happen? There's, you know, there's, there's a little uh, DevOps suite in there uh, of, of stuff going on. Maybe, you know, you got, uh, what was it? Service virtualization and, and a few other little things there. And then, and then finally, uh, I saw that the uh, robot pizza manufacturing company, I forget what they're named, but they, they got a huge amount of money 
And uh, I just like that because, you know, I always make the joke that you can call uh, a pizza company, can call themselves whatever they want as long as they get pizza <laughs> in the box instead of like a DVD. Uh, they can call themselves a software company. But maybe you're going to start getting a, a piping hot DVD from a robot. <laughs> And I, yeah, I, I particularly, I particularly, uh, saw this because I've been reading that, uh, OKR book, uh, <laughs> which, <clears throat> you know, I'll finish reading it before I make a final judgment. Uh, but they, there's, there are extensive, um, I've been listening to the audio version and they get the original people, uh, to go over, um, how they used OKRs. And it's very halo, halo, halo effecty, uh, which is unfortunate, but they have the pizza people in there. And they're all like, OKRs helps us fresh pizza, makes fresh pizza. So order yourself a robot pizza. I'm sure it's delicious. Well, with that, uh, I think we should close out with our recommendations. Now I've mentioned it several times. We've got, uh, we've got our Slack channel. You can go hang out there. We put all of the, most all of the topics we'll, t we'll discuss. There's some little side conversations, whether it's about sticker alignment on laptops. Or, or all sorts of other, uh, little conversations we have going on there. You can, there's channels for the other podcasts that we do. And, uh, also mentioning stickers. If you want to get a sticker, uh, for free, you can, you can mail it off, uh, mail your address, your mailing address, if you remember that to, uh, stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And Brandon will walk down to the post office, uh, over there, uh, in his neighborhood, mail you some stickers. Now, Brandon. Do we have a recent sticker uh, giveaway that's notable? We do. Lindsay from London, he uh, he mailed in and I sent him a sticker. Said he just just got it. He's his uh, quote is he uh, really enjoys the podcast. Just the right, uh, just the right amount of humor, sarcasm, and facts for a cynical Brit like like himself. So I would say that, my friends, is our target market. Mm, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, so we appreciate Lindsay. Uh, he said some other nice comments. So yeah, so definitely if you want a sticker, hit us up. Love to give them out. Be great. I, lo I love this novel way he spelled humor. That hu humor. Humor. Uh, you need to get used to it, Cote. So, uh, yes, so, that is uh, yeah. the cotton paste. Do they... Uh, do they... Do they use British spellings for things in Amsterdam? You know, or I, is I, it American I, I haven't noticed that. I'm going to have to seek down the word virtualization and color All right. and humor. Yeah. See, see how yeah. they do things. Because you're going to want to set your spell check to uh, Ian UK or mm. Ian AU like I did. No way. I'm, I'm just going to bla <laughs> blaze in with my, my American brevity. No way. You're like, no one's going to mistake me for a Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then speaking of applications, do you have any updates on your quick con call iPhone app, Brandon? How's that going? It's going well. Definitely, uh, well into the next, the next major upgrade cycle. Got the development team on it. We've got some exciting enhancements, but don't worry. Fear not. You can uh, go to, uh, the iPhone or the App Store, Apple's App Store, and you can download it. Give it a shot. Tell me if you love it. Tell me if you hate it. Love to, to get any feedback. So I've got some feedback from listeners. Always appreciate it. Now, can we expect a stateful, thick, gooey version of this? Maybe I can log not this, in. No? Not this one. This I got a whole other. Uh, I got a whole other app. I've. Uh, I think I've mastered the client side of mm. uh, software development. But I don't know. I've. Uh, I have often thought myself like I, as someone who is 
uh, kind of the other end is like, I would like to build a, a, a backend. It is, it is, it is very difficult just to like try out every backend service and be like, huh, I think I know enough to know if this is good or bad. So hmm. for all the people that have tried to evaluate all the major cloud services, like I, I sympathize with you, man. It is hard. Hmm, I see. Well, with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, um, you know, Fortnite is all the rage and I, I really have never to this day still not have uh, played it, but I read this book, it's called Masters of Doom. And, you know, for, for my generation, I think for you guys as well, like my first person shooter game that I most think about in my youth is like, is Doom and Duke Nukem and stuff like that. So this is a book about kind of like the team that put it together. It's software. They're actually based in Dallas. So at a time that I was in Dallas uh, about. And so kind of goes through the whole history of it all, which is, you know, if you're of a certain age, it's almost very nostalgic because you remember these games coming out like Doom and Doom 2 and just like, uh, and then the idea that like what I remember was like after like playing Doom for a while was the idea of like networking your computers together. But this is kind of before, I mean, it's hard to believe, like it's kind of before networks. You had to have these serial cables Uh, and then you would play, um, then you would play, you know, kind of the battle royale. And it it just kind of remember... Uh, and as everyone's playing Fortnite, you know, it just kind of brings back like uh, how the same thing gets like in music and in video games. It just gets played over and over. It's like no matter what you build at the end of the day, what people want to do is they want to like get on a virtual world and kind of fight each other. And uh, so like <laughs> and I and I and I totally get it because I remember I just don't have enough yeah. time to play now. It's not that I don't like Fortnite. It's just like so I think it's interesting for like this generation, my children and or like maybe the teenagers like like their their doom is going to be Fortnite. Right. And then maybe in 20 years from now, someone will invent something else. But like for, for anyone building a game. You, you really can't go wrong with the battle battle mode. Just battle royale seems to always be a winner. So if you want to read the history of it and you're like a certain age, you want to like remember all the games, read Masters of Doom. It's just a fun look back mm. at how all those game, games came together. I, yeah, I think I think that's the primary reason that a lot of my uh, coworkers in high school worked at uh, Funds Express is because there was a network there. So after hours, <laughs> they could they could play Doom and uh what was it? Not not, not, right. not World of Warcraft, but that other one where it's just, you know, resource management where you're like chopping down wood right. and shit like that. I forget what Yeah, it was Warcraft and Warcraft 2 and Warcraft 3 and yeah. Starcraft. Yeah. Ooh, Starcraft. Good times. Yeah. Oof. Man, I bet I bet you built a few land parties in your time. Star um, Control. Matt? Oh, you know it. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, the the Doom with the the BNC networks before we even got the Cat uh Cat 5, we had the 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 cable um the cable cables and then you time together with the twisted t- twisted pair or those those weird funky connectors oh but you can only play four players but man that was awesome mm, good times <laughs> well how about yourself Matt what do you what do you got to recommend <laughs> speaking of blast from the past I I finally got to go to the movies um I saw a Deadpool two uh, recently I know it came out probably like you know three months ago or something but uh, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, if you like the first one, you'll like the second one. It's it's you know it's pretty uh, pretty much just as good as the first. Um, so uh, go watch it. Hmm. That's a good review. Hopefully it'll be on. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it'll be on like on demand. I got I got they got they got this internet company over here called Ziggo Z I G G O, and uh, they I I was just you know I was signing up for it and I was like I don't I don't know what I'm doing and this this salesperson is the most pleasant telco salesperson I've ever talked to. In fact, I told him that we were just like shooting the shit as it were, and uh, I was telling him like you know yeah and in America no one likes their telco and he was like he was confused he was really 
<laughs> but but we provide the internet to you. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, so I just bought the full the full. You know, true to my, th- there was three levels. There was like entry level and plus and max. And I was like, I want max. Whatever max is, I want it. And uh, you get I'll you get two. Yeah, you get TVs bundled with it, and and like we were watching like Westworld on demand. It's like a whole new world. It's crazy. It's it's like it's like the BitTorrents, except it's legal. You can just watch whatever you want. It's it's fantastic. It's legal. Plus the internet. I don't even I don't even know how to rate this internet. It's it's like three hundred thirty four mega bps. I don't know what that means, but it's really fast. And uh, That's man, good stuff. man, it's great. Uh, so, so my, my, I, I, uh, other, other than the Dutch internet, you should get that. It's just insane how, how fast it is. Uh, like, right. I didn't even turn off my Dropbox syncing. Now I'm not syncing any, uh, videos at the moment, but, uh, everything works, which, which is amazing. So my recommendation also, because the internet works, I can look at Tumblr a lot quicker, which, uh, is, is nice. You know, I've got a, I've got a highly curated feed in Tumblr of basically like, uh, I don't know, fantasy pictures and by fantasy, you know, like D and D stuff and Conan pictures. And then, and then a few weird things like my favorite one at the moment is the 1980s action figure, figure tumbler. And the conceit of this, I forget what the description says, but it's basically like we're only going to take pictures of, of, you know, toys from the eighties that are like your second and third tier action figures. So we're not going to have transformers and GI Joe's. But like the weird things, uh, or the not so su- successful things. And it's, it's fun to look through them because I remember these old things I had forgotten. Like, uh, there was this whole mask collection of these little figures that like were basically people riding on transforming stuff. And then you had cops with one of the best name, uh, villains ever, Miss Demeanor. See, see how that works out? misdemeanor <laughs> love that one <laughs> like garbage pail kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then and then i just saw one last night that was great apparently there were a bunch of dune action figures and they had they had uh, they had one that was like the faceless warrior you know the faceless soldier uh which is pretty uh-huh. fun and and then and then also the ones like it was making me remember you know i was a big i was a big gi joe person that's what i played with and you could go to like the drugstore I guess it would be a Walgreens back then. And every now and then you could find these super cheap, like generic GI Joe figures. And they were great. And I saw a few of them on there too. So, you know, you can just go look at your uh, 1980s action figure tumbler. It's a uh, good stuff. Well, when you're done with that, or maybe while you're listening to this episode or all the, the old ones that you can find at softwaredefinedtalk.com, uh, you know, you should, you should sign up for, uh, you know, the, the, the feed, listen to the old things. There's a lot of action figures to scroll through there. So you'll have lots of time to catch up on the old feeds. And like I mentioned earlier, you should uh, join the Slack. Maybe you can send some pictures of your favorite action figures. You could even start a channel action figures and we could just post pictures in there. I think that's the thing people do on the internet, but, uh, you know, uh, with that, we'll, we'll see, see everyone next time. Bye bye. Uh. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah? You got to put a little granola in there, maybe? <laughs> Breakfast of champions. <laughs> maybe a little pear granola? You know, I saw that over here. They have, they have granola with pears in it. And they, there's there's like, you go to the, you go to the grocery store uh, area and the cereal uh, part, and they've got maybe like five types of American cereal and they're like they're like full up on muesli and granola, just just whole grains out the wazoo. 
they know what they're doing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Now, now, are you supposed to have? Uh, you're supposed to soak muesli. Is that how you say it, muesli? <clears throat> it's hard to chew. Um, I'm done. Uh, that's if it's Bertram muesli. Bertram muesli. Is that is mm-hmm. like from Jeeves and Wooster? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Bertram muesli is the stuff that they uh, they soak it in like cream overnight. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think most people eat the muesli like granola. Okay. You put it in fresh. It's just not. Yeah. You, you, you know, you throw your... Uh, your remnants of the field into a bowl and throw <laughs> on some yogurt or some milk and um, eat healthy. Mm, remnants of the field. That's one of my favorite <laughs> brands. 